3.16. For God so loved the world. The whole world. Everyone. Anyone. That's a lot of people. That he gave his one and only son. His only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish. But have eternal life. Isn't that a great, isn't that a great passage? You know, we have, um, for the past two months, we have formed teams and we have went throughout the city of Rocky Top and we have knocked on doors and we have told them that God loves them. And many of you are worshiping with us for the first time this morning because someone has knocked on the door and invited you to come worship with us. I got something I want to tell you. Uh, We are in a, a... 30 days of Thanksgiving here at Main Street Church where each day of this month we are listing things that we are thankful for. And today I am thankful for all you folks who are worshiping with us, maybe for the very first time. Uh, We do not have visitors at Main Street Church. We have guests. And there's a difference between a visitor and a guest. If you are laying on the couch on Saturday night and you're laying there in your uh, pajamas and someone rings the doorbell, and you have to get up and put your shirt on and comb your hair, and you go to the door, that's a visitor. We weren't expecting you, but you are our guest. We've been expecting you. We went to great lengths. We, 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 we bought a sign. See that right there? You belong here. That cost $12,000. We bought that so that you'd come. And you're probably wondering, do I belong here? I'm just coming to check you out and give you all the sniff tests. There's your sign. This is where we're glad you're here. Thank you for... Main Street, let's honor all these people that are worshiping with us this morning. Psalms 100. Psalms 100 is our passage that we're reading all month long. We're reading it every day this month. It's a psalm of praise. Main Street Church, would you read this with me? A one, a two, a one, two, three. Make... And you're talking about a joy to hear the people of God read the Word of God. In Numbers chapter number 14, there was the people of God. They were the the chosen people of God. They were the Israelites. They had been in bondage for 400 years. And God delivered them from bondage. He brought them out of the land of Egypt. He brought them to a place called... um, Uh, right to the edge of the promised land. And he he was giving them a great land after being in bondage for 400 years. These these 2 million people, they came right up to the edge and they could almost reach this promised land, what the Bible called the land that flowed with milk and honey. They, They did this... Southern Baptist thing, they stopped right there as they got close to the land and they they formed this committee, this 12-person committee. They sent 12 people into the land. They went in and spied out the land 
Two people come back, a fellow by the name of Joshua and his friend Caleb came back and said, that land is just what God said it was. It's the land that flows with milk and honey. There are grapes over there. It's going to take two people to carry the one, one bundle of grapes. Two people said it's good. Ten spies came back and said, oh, it's right. This is the land. This is the land that God promised, but... We can never enter into that land. There's giants in the land, and we can't go over there. And the Bible says, as they stood there at the promised land, stood on the edge, they were so close. They were on the one-yard line. And rather than press in to what God called them to do, those people, Numbers chapter 14, verse number 2, the Bible says they murmured. That's an old word. It's a King James word. We looked at that word very carefully and we discovered that from this word murmuring, the word murmur, we came up with five other words. Here's a Hebrew word. Here's some English words that come from the word murmur. One word is the word complain. They complained. Another word was the word what? Covet. See, if you've been going to Main Street Church, you've heard this sermon 14 times now. They complained. They coveted. They were critical. What else were they? They were full of doubt. They were full of doubt. If you're worshiping with us for the first time and I spell something wrong, don't say nothing. Okay? We, we, we believe Main Street, if you can only spell a word one way, that you're narrow-minded. So, there was doubt. There was, another, there was another attitude. They were rebellious. Listen. These critical, these attitudes, these, these, these people stood look, at the edge of the promised land. They were so close. And they did not go into the land. God didn't allow them into the land. Not because of, of, of some big gross sin. It was because of their attitude. God said, I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you through the Red Sea. I gave you water from a rock. I gave you manna. I gave you a cloud at night, a, a pillar of fire at night, and a cloud during the day. And here you are. You're, you're murmuring. You're complaining. You're coveting critical, doubtful people. Now listen. This, these attitudes are real. God loves you just the way you are. But he don't want you to stay that way. You say, well, my daddy, he was, had a temper, and he was, my daddy had a temper, and I got a temper. You know what? You don't have to be that way. My mommy, she worried. She, she, she was depressed and worried, and I'm just like my mom. You don't have to be like, I'm not coming down on your mom this morning, but, but you don't have to be like that. God loves you just the way you are, but he don't want you to stay that way. And if you're going to stop being in a wilderness attitude and having a wilderness spirit, you have to understand that these things, it's not like having acne. It don't just go away. You have to change it. It takes effort on your part. What kind of effort does it take? It takes you taking into your hand God's word and standing on the promises of God. That's the title of the series that I'm, I'm preaching. Standing on the promises. When we stand on the promises, we stop being complainful or complaining and become what? Thankful. We, we, we quit being covetous and we become content. You know what Paul said about that? In all situations, I've become content. Stop being critical and have a heart filled with love. Doubt. Faith, rebellion, stop, get that rebellion out of your heart and replace it with a heart of submission. Now, as we have looked at these promises, 
We've looked at these promises and we, 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 we call this series Standing on the Promises of God. We've discovered promise number one is this. I am created in the image of God. If you are here this morning and you're in the worship center, you need to know something. What the Bible says about you. The Bible says you are created in the image of God. You are created in His likeness. You can think. You have wisdom. Do you love any other? Do you love anybody? Oh, let me ask you that again. Y'all say yes. <laughs> Is it, do y'all love anybody? Yes. Okay, you're like God. Now, you're not God, but you are like Him. You have been created in His image. Here's another promise. The devil's days are numbered. Your enemy is numbered. Their day, days are numbered. Oh, I'd love to stop and preach on number two because a lot of people don't believe in the devil. They think he is just a figment of our imagination, but he's real. Amen. He comes after people. He comes to, to steal, kill, and destroy. But according to the word of God, Romans 16, 20, his days are numbered. According to Romans chapter 8, verse number 17, here's another promise of God. I am an heir of Jesus Christ. See, when you're standing on the promises and you know his word, and you know that every time God makes a promise, this is God swearing, this is God signing himself to something, I promise you, you, have a, you are an heir to Jesus Christ. That helps you to stop complaining and to be thankful. Say amen. It helps you to quit coveting and helps you to be content with what you have. When, look at number four. Here's one of my favorite. Here's a promise from God. When believing people pray, great things happen. You know, when believing people pray, people get healed. When believing people get, uh, pray, people get saved. People get set free. There is power in the prayers of the righteous people is what James said in 5.16. And here's promise number five. I want you to write this down. If you've got a bulletin, you can look in that bulletin. There's some, you can take some notes in there. John, uh, uh, the, John says this, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Promise number five is this. We're standing on his promises. I am loved by God. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what... The, the, the preacher at the other church told you, I don't care what your parents told you, I don't care how bad you have messed up, you are loved by God. Jesus said this in, in, in John three sixteen that he loves the whole world. In a minute, we're going to pick at that passage just a little bit. But when he, you know why he used the word world? Because he wanted people to know that, that, that no one, no one, has been left out. Nobody has, is separated from the love of God. Are you in John chapter number 3? Turn there with me. John chapter number 3. And we're going to look at verse number 16 here in just a moment. Before we look at 16, I want us to begin in verse number 1. John chapter 3, verse number 1. The Bible says this. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus. Now listen, you, you are going to read about one of the most historical, one of the most famous conversations that ever took place. This conversation, I am so glad that Nicodemus went to Jesus and had this conversation. I praise the Lord that, that John recorded this conversation. This man, verse 2, came to Jesus by night. 
and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Most assuredly I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now watch this. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was a very, very religious person. And he, Nicodemus, this is always fun for me. By the time I get done racing this stuff, I'm worn out. Now watch. Now listen to this. If you are a Bible scholar and you have great wisdom about the city of Jerusalem, don't get caught up in this, okay? This is, this is, a, uh, this is where Nicodemus lives. Nicodemus lives here. Here's the street that runs in front of Nicodemus' house. And this right down here, you know what that is? That's the temple. How'd y'all know that? It's just because I, this right here, again, don't go look in the back of your map at the city of Jerusalem and think this is drawn to scale because it's not. Nicodemus lives here. This place right here is called Solomon's Porch. It's a very famous place in the city of New Orleans. I grew up over on New River. We had a place called Sir Willie's Porch, which is different from this, but this, we accomplished the same thing, basically. Now watch. Nicodemus is here. Here is Solomon's Porch. This is the temple. Jesus and the twelve are here. Nicodemus, a ruler of the Pharisees, he came to Jesus by night. See, Nicodemus has spent most of his day right here on Solomon's porch. He, the Pharisee, along with the scribes and the Sadducees and all the religious leaders, they sit on Solomon's porch and they discuss God. They discuss things like, should a man lace his shoes on the Sabbath? They discuss things like, how big of a fig, fig can you carry in your pocket on the Sabbath day and not sin against God? Sometimes people would walk by this Solomon's porch and all the Pharisees and the Sadducees and these people would walk by. They would shout at, the, at Solomon's porch and they would ask questions. Hey, Nicodemus, my son-in-law, he won't work. Should he be allowed to eat? Nicodemus. I see you there on Solomon's porch, and I know you have great wisdom. You are a scholar in the Torah. Let me ask you this question. What must I do to have eternal life? Sol uh, Nicodemus, this ruler of the Pharisee, the Bible says that he came to Jesus at night. So he's sitting in his room, waiting for darkness to come. And when darkness comes, he slips 
out of his room. He walks down. He don't go all the way down. He goes right here and he slips behind the porch and he goes to see Jesus. You know why? Because he don't want none of these people here to know that he has gone there. They don't. He don't want none of his colleagues to know that he has gone to see Jesus. As he goes in to see Jesus, he knocks on the door. Jesus says, come in. And when he comes in, there's Jesus and his 12 disciples. And those disciples, when Nicodemus walk in the room, they go, they're not used to being in the presence of such a religious person. He has on his Pharisee garb, and he's all dressed up, and we all know this is Nicodemus. We saw him sitting on the porch. He walks in, and he comes up to Jesus, and he says in verse number 2, Rabbi. It's a term of honor. That, was, that might be the highest name that someone could call you in that Jewish culture. Rabbi. It means teacher. It means scholar. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Hey, we've been sitting on the porch dinner. We've been talking about you. We heard about what happened at Canaan at the wedding. You went to the wedding there and and they ran out of wine and you took those water pots and you filled those water pots with, with water and then you turned that water into wine. We've heard about you. We've heard about blind people that you've touched and crippled people you've caused them to walk. Listen, this is what we know about you, Rabbi. We know that, that, that God is with you because nobody can do the things that you do unless God is with you. And what Jesus should have done, Jesus should have returned a compliment. Nicodemus, I'm glad you're here. I've been noticing you in your garb and your, your headdress and how you sit on the porch down there. You're wise. You give great scholarly Old Testament. You're, you're, you're schooled. You know exactly. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Look what Jesus said in verse number 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Most assuredly I say unto you, Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We got Jesus, we got Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's an Old Testament Torah scholar. He is a member of the Sanhedrin. And here's Jesus. He's an illegitimate child. He's a carpenter from Nazareth. We all know that nothing come nothing good comes out of Nazareth. And now they are getting ready to have this conversation, and Jesus and, and Nicodemus have come to Uh, an impassable point in their conversation and it's just got started jesus rather than saying what a great man you are nicodemus he said nicodemus let me tell you something i need you to understand i need you to get a hold of this nobody nobody can see the kingdom of god unless they are born again and i can see nicodemus he's probably 56 years old he's now i'm making that part up because that's how old i am 56 years old and he's got a beard and i can just see him kind of you mean that when someone is old he needs to return to his mother's womb and be born again how can this be 
Wouldn't it be nice to, to March the 8th, 1962, and, and I'm 56 years old, wouldn't it be nice to be able to, 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 to put it in reverse and re- rewind this and go all the way back? I don't know if I've told you all this, but I want to make sure you folks that are worshiping with us for the first time know this. I played football at Lake City High School, and every Friday night after the ball game, we would come back on Sunday, and we would, we would uh, watch the film. And if you've ever played sports, you know what, a, what, a, what an aggravating time this is because the film is shining right on you, and every bad thing you do, it exposes you. And here you are, you're playing tight end. There's no sense playing tight end at Lake City High School because they're not going to throw the ball to you anyway. They're just going to have to block. But here, and, and, and they call the play, and they, used to, and, and they start running. You, you're, you're on the screen, and they're running this film, and they're, they're running it back, and they're running it forward, and they're running back. Look, Wayne, you stepped with the wrong foot. Wayne, you, you, you got to get your head. And they're, they're pointing out all the wrong things that I've done. But wouldn't it be nice if we could stand here, and they could hit that button, and we could all go back. And do it all over again. If we could start from the beginning, a do-over, a a mulligan. But Nicodemus said that's not possible. Nicodemus believes in sincere gestures. He believes in good works. He believes in in in, in hardworking stuff. He believes that, that that if you do as good as you can do. God will do the rest. And Jesus is saying this, your good works means nothing. Your good works does not mean diddly squat. You must be born again. It's interesting. That word again, the word again in the Hebrew, in the Greek, I need the word palin to pop up on the screen. The word, again, has two meanings. It's the word, one of the words is the word palin. It means a repetition of an act. It means to redo what was done earlier. Now, let me show you my painting. This painting was done by Holman Hunt. You got me up there, that that painting right there. That's my favorite painting. That's a picture that Holman Hunt painted, and it comes from Revelation chapter number 3, verse number 20, where the Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, if you'll look at this picture very carefully, look at it carefully, you will notice that Jesus is knocking on the door, but there's no doorknob on Jesus' side. Symbolically saying, whoever's on the other side, you must open the door and let him in. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the most powerful thing. There's no one like him. But he will not barge. He will not storm into your life. You must let him come in. Now, if Palin, the Hebrew word Palin, which means again, if I were to say, see that painting there of Holman Hunt, I'm going to get out my paint, and I'm going to get out my brushes, and I'm going to become Bob Ross, and I'm going to repaint that, and I'm going to do this, and, 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 and I paint, you know what, I just did Palin. I, I just repeated an act. But there's another word in the Greek, I hope you're staying with me, that, mean, that it's the word anthon. And look what it means. It means also, it depicts a, a repeated action, but requires the original source to repeat it. So, in, 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 in regards to that painting, if I'm going to anthon that painting, I must find Holman Hunt, who lived in the 1800s. He must be the one that, that, that redoes the painting because he was the original painter. 
And when Nicodemus is standing before Jesus, Jesus said, you must be born again. He uses this word here. You must be born again, but you must be born again through the one who did it the first time. Symbolically saying this, listen, you must be born again, but there is absolutely nothing you can do for yourself. I don't care how long you sit on the porch. I don't care how many great points you make. I don't care how well-versed you are in the Old Testament. You cannot save yourself. That can only happen through and by the love and grace of God. Has anybody in here ever had a baby? Now, let me ask you a question. I don't, I've, I've never been in a room where someone was having a baby. I've shown up a few minutes after and saw what the baby looked like. But as that baby, moms, listen, as you're laying there on that table and you're giving birth to this child and you've been doing this for three hours, you've been breathing and pushing and groaning. And Now, once the child is born, how much effort did the child give in the, in, in the birthing of himself? None. The child can do nothing. Matter of fact, he's hooked to that umbilical. He or she's hooked to that umbilical cord. And if they were separated from that, they could do nothing on their own. So when you talk about being born again, God, He's the one that exerts the effort. That's Calvary. That's where His Son Jesus, perfect, sinless, spotless, went and was nailed on a cross. And when He was on that cross. The perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God. All the sins of the world was dumped on Him. Whose sin are you talking about? I'm talking about your sin. I'm talking about my sin. Every sin, every mistake, everything that we've ever done, there at Calvary 2,000 years ago, God the Father dumped them out on God the Son. He is the one that put forth the effort to cause you to be born again. And once you were uh, come to the cross, and once you ask for forgiveness, it is God himself that restores your beauty. Now watch what happened. In John chapter 3, verse number 16, this is what I am calling. Well, someone else has written this, not me. This is what we are calling this morning the 25 greatest words ever written. Let me read them to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, I do this. I fool with this board. I wrestle with this board. I write on the board. I I misspell words. I, I, I draw pictures. I do that. In an effort that you might understand and that you might retain the Word of God. I am working on this passage of Scripture that God so loved the world. Watch. For God so loved... When we get here... I want you to read this with me. 
and I want you to put your name here. Don't say your name here. <laughs> say your name. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. Oh, God loved who? I'll ask you that again. You say your name. God loved who? Think about this. If you want to stand on the promise of God and, and you want to stop being a whiner and a complainer and being critical and you want to walk in the land of promise and you want to have a thankful, grateful, loving heart, think about this. For God so loved the world. That's a great thought because we can think about how much God would love the people in China and how God would love hungry children. But you know what? This is an amazing thought. An amazing thought. Not that God loved the world, but that God loved me. Do you see why it's important to put your name here? God so loved Wayne Phillips. What did he do? He, God, gave His only begotten Son. That, you know what that word means in order. That, look at this word. Whosoever. You ever heard this song? It's a new song. It ain't been out that long. It's called Amazing Grace. You ever heard that one? It was written by a man by the name of John Newton. Go home and, and, and Google John Newton and, and, and see what kind of life that John Newton lived before he, became, before he came to Jesus Christ. He was a bad, bad man. But he got saved. And he got saved and God did a great work in his life and he wrote probably the greatest hymn that's ever been written, Amazing Grace. John Newton said this, he was so glad that, that when, when John uh, wrote the gospel, when the Holy Spirit spoke to John's heart, that he used the word whosoever, that whosoever believes in me. Had John Newton said, had it said that John Newton, had John Newton believed, he would have assumed in his heart that there was another John Newton somewhere. Because how could God love someone like me? Whosoever. Let's think of all the people that, that that leaves out. Does that word whosoever, does it leave out Osama bin Laden? Does it leave out Jeffrey Dahmer? You know what? Jeffrey Dahmer was a bad man. According to the Milwaukee uh, newspapers, Jeffrey Dahmer killed and ate 17 people. When they came to his house, they opened up the refrigerator and there was a human skull in his refrigerator. In his refrigerator. When he went to trial and he was convicted of 17 murders... And given 17 life sentences, he sat in a courtroom. He never, very stoic, he never grimaced, he never, he just sat there. The, the, the uh, chaplain of the, of the prison, 
the state cha- for the Milwaukee or for a Wisconsin State Penitentiary said the most amazing thing about Jeffrey Dahmer was this that two weeks before he was killed in prison Jeffrey Dahmer gave his heart to Jesus Christ and there's a part of me that wants to raise up and wants to buck against wants to, wants to, wants to, wants to fight against that but you know what he's a whosoever and Jesus Christ died for him. And there's not one sin, there is not one sin that the blood of Jesus Christ did not cover. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do you see why we say this is the 25 greatest words ever written? John chapter 3, verse number 17. There's 23 words in this passage. And, and listen to what it says. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through Him might be saved. Jesus Christ come. He's perfect. He's sinless. He never, never committed one sin. And He came... If you were to walk up to him and, and tell him all your sin, you allow him to, to, to see you in, in, in your worst moment. And he sees all the bad stuff that you've done in your life. Listen to this. Jesus Christ would not condemn that. That's not why he came. He didn't come to condemn sin. He came to forgive it. That's why Jeffrey Dahmer was born again. I've heard people say that um, I teach and I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. I don't believe there is no other way. And I've heard people say that this is not fair. This is not right. I believe it's very fair. Because I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you've got a million dollars in a bank or if you don't have a pot to spit in. All of us go through the same way, through Jesus. And I am so excited that I can stand on this promise this morning. Regardless of what I've done, regardless of how many times I've messed up, regardless of how many mistakes I've made, the God in heaven... Is not mad at me. Well, no, he wouldn't be mad at you because you're a preacher. And you go to church and you, you do church stuff. You know what? When God looks at you and he sees you and he sees your sin, you know what? He's not mad at you either. He loves you. Well, how much does he, he loves you so much he sent his only son to the cross just for you? See, there's nothing you can do for yourself. There, you're like Nicodemus. You, don't, you probably don't sit on a porch and you have great deep theological discussions. You probably don't do that. But you are like Nicodemus in this regard. You can't do anything to save yourself. That's why you must be born again. So how do you do that? Well, you know, Jesus went to the cross and died. When he died on the cross, he paid for every sin in the world. Every sin that you've ever committed has already been paid for through Jesus Christ. So salvation comes to you this way by you 
confessing your sin, saying, you're right, Pastor, you got me. I've sinned and messed up. Don't tell me, tell God. And agree with him that this is wrong, this should have never happened. You confess your sin. You believe that Jesus Christ is uh, the God's son, that he died and that he rose again. And you just ask him to save you. And I know what you're, you're thinking. Well, okay, then what? what? That's it. That's all you do. But whoa, whoa, whoa. you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've messed up. You know what? You're not any bigger sinner than I was. It takes the same amount of blood of Jesus Christ to wash away everybody's sin. And you know what? This is what I believe. I believe the God in heaven has brought you here this morning. He's allowed us to draw on the board and hear a bunch of good singing so that you might hear these words. I love you. I love you. And that is a promise from God. What would be foolish, what would be extremely foolish is this. If you knew that you had sinned and come short and messed up and knew that there was a God in heaven wanting to forgive you, not condemn you, not, not reach over the balcony of heaven and bop you in the head. He don't want to do that. He wants to forgive you. Listen, God is not mad at you. He loves you. It would be foolish for you to walk out that back door carrying that sin, that guilt and, guilt and shame. You can lay it all down here today. You can lay it down, and Jesus Christ will forgive you. Record your name in heaven. You know what? If you want to be saved, today's the day. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. What about these church people? What about all of you that, that are walking around in all kinds of stuff? This would be a great day for you just to lay that down. Just ask God to forgive you. You know what, today, this is the day, is the song that we started out. This is the day where you can lay it all down. You can start over. You can have a brand new start in Jesus Christ. Your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for how it speaks to my heart. Thank you for the promises that's in your word. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for making a way through Jesus that we might be saved. Lord, you are just in do all of our thanksgiving, and we praise you. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been saved? Have you ever given your heart to Christ? Is there someone here this morning, and there probably is because our house is full, is there anyone here this morning that has never, ever asked Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sin? It's very simple. It's a very simple thing we do here. We pray and we just say, God, I'm sorry. I've sinned. I believe that Jesus Christ died for me. I ask him to save me. That's all you have to do. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if you'd like to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life, if you'd like to be saved, just, just pray this prayer in your heart. Pray, dear Lord Jesus, pray that in your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned. And I believe that Jesus Christ is God's only son. I believe he died for me. I believe he rose again. I believe he sits at the right hand this morning.
I ask him to save me. I ask him to forgive me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I want you to listen to me. If you prayed that prayer and you asked God to forgive you, nobody's looking around but me. Raise your hand. Raise it high. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now, if you're here this morning and you belong to Jesus, but you're walking through some stuff, just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I confess to you my sin. I want to be right with you. In Jesus' name. If you either prayed either of those two prayers, in just a moment we're going to stand and we're going to sing. I want you to come. You prayed that prayer privately in your heart, especially those who prayed it for the very first time. Come and let's tell the world about your salvation. Others of you may just want to come and pray. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for your word. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Stand